1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to continue on with our theme, uh, Love Works, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, the last installment in uh, our second series on Sunday mornings. Uh, we began uh, the year uh, with the first series. The second series is The People I Love. The People I Love, last week we, we looked at loving uh, my fellow man, loving the broken. This week we're going to turn our attention to loving the brethren. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 5. The Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto those dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. We'll continue this week looking at loving my fellow man and uh, the saved this morning to the believer. We're going to talk about loving the brethren. Loving the brethren. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we understand this vital and important truth. Lord, help us to have a passionate love for each other as we are apart from each other today. Uh, Lord, may we realize just how much we do truly love each other. Familiarity oftentimes can breed contempt. And Lord, we get used to the rhythm and cadence of getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church and seeing about the same people and talking to the same people. And Lord, having that taken away from us today has helped us to realize just how much we value and love what we have. Lord, we pray that this would soon be brought to an end. We'd be able to gather together again. Help us this morning to truly evaluate our love for the brethren. And Lord, help us to take the attention off ourselves and put it, Lord, on each other. Be with me today as I preach. Fill me with your power. Hide me behind your cross. Lord, help us to lift you up high and make a big deal out of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when we talk about loving the brethren, what exactly does that mean? Uh, in our everyday conversation, the word brethren is not a word that we throw around on a regular basis. It is a uh, word that is not part of our regular vocabulary, but it is a word found in the Bible. It is an old English word, uh, and it refers to your brothers and your sisters or your siblings. Uh, while I do believe you should love your blood brothers and sisters, uh, I am speaking directly about loving your spiritual Siblings, loving your spiritual siblings. If you're listening this morning and you don't know what that means, spiritual siblings, that phrase, this uh, uh, terminology seems awkward or odd to you, let me take a moment and explain to you how you can become a child of God, how God can become your Heavenly Father. First, please understand that we are not born into this world as the children of God. When you arrive on this earth as a baby, you began as God's creation, uh, but you did not begin as God's child. You did not begin as God's child. Please set aside what you have been previously told 
And let's trust God's Holy Bible this morning. John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You can read along there on your screen. The Bible says, uh, again, uh, before we uh, read the verses, let me just say this. This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking to Nicodemus, how he is asking about he, how he can go to heaven. And Jesus says in John three seventeen, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But, look here, he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice the dividing line. Notice the dividing line here. Until you have made a conscious choice to believe in Jesus Christ alone uh, as the payment for your sins, you live under the condemnation, the curse of the penalty for sin. Uh, What is that penalty? Well, I'm just going to speak very direct to you this morning. The condemnation, the curse, the penalty for the sin that you and I and everyone has committed is hellfire is eternal hellfire. God one day is going to take those who die with sin on their account, who die with sin on their record, He's going to judge them in heaven. Uh, My friend, He is worthy to judge you because He is sinless. Titus tells us God cannot lie, God cannot sin, God in every way is righteous and pure and perfect, and He is our judge, and He hates sin. Someone says, isn't God love? And the answer is yes, but please don't forget that God is a God of balance, and while He is a God of love, He is also a God of justice, and He hates sin. He cannot tolerate it, because sin is the antithesis, or the opposite of who He is. And humanity has decided to dip their soul in sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God, come short of God's perfection. Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, there is none perfect, no, not one. Uh, Isaiah tells us that when God sees us, our, even our righteousness, our attempt at being righteous as a humanity is as filthy rags. And so God views us as broken, God views us as cursed under the breaking of the penalty of His holy law. And because of that, those that die with that sin on their record, He does not view as His children. Yes, He uses His creation, but they are not His children. Uh, There is a false doctrine going around uh, many uh, uh, churches and uh, many religions that teaches that everyone is God's child. And my friend, no, everyone is not God's child. The Bible could not make it more clear. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 teaches that you are a child of the devil. You are born, and I was born as a child of the devil. We are born under the condemnation of sin, the curse of sin. And if you die, underneath that curse, God will condemn you to eternity in hell. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what do I do to be removed out from underneath that penalty? Um, The Bible is very clear on that. In fact, uh, go back with me and look back at those verses we just read, John 3, 17 and 18. Look here, we see the extent of God's love and even the extending of God's love to us that are condemned. For God sent not His Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to this earth to condemn the world, look here, but that the world, that's you and I, through Him might 
be saved, might be rescued. Uh, uh, look at verse 18. He that, here's what we must do. He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These verses could not be any more clear. If you want to leave condemnation and you want to enter into salvation, you must believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. Jesus is the answer. As Pastor Morales just saying a few moments ago, only Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who is worthy to take away your sin curse. He's the only one that is able to expunge your sins off of your record in front of Judge God, the Father. He's the only one who is worthy to clear your penalty. And my friend, not only does He clear your record, expunge your sin crimes, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you humble your heart and you kneel at the foot of the cross proverbially and you believe and receive Jesus Christ, what happens is He adopts you into His family. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 put it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see here the emphasis being put on the mouth and the heart. Why? These two work in tandem. We must believe in our heart. We must believe with our intellect. We must believe with our emotion. We must believe with the full effort of our trust that Jesus Christ was who He said He was. He was not just a good man. He was not just some prophet. He was not just some teacher. No, He was God incarnate. God wrapped in flesh who walked this earth, who lived 33 years, who sinned not, who is holy, who is perfect, who is nailed to a cross, and who became our sin and died in our place and suffered on our behalf and took on our condemnation so that we could have His liberty and His salvation. When you believe this with all your heart and you call out to Him by faith in prayer and you ask Him to rescue you, to save you, my friend, He gives you the gift of eternal life. He wipes away the condemnation. He takes away the sin curse. He takes away the crimes from off your record. God then looks at you through the person of Jesus and He does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son laid on your account. But even more, He adopts you into His family. You become a child of God. This is a choice you must make. Now, for me, that date was April 8th, 1988. I sat in a church service on a Sunday evening in Hattiesburg, Mississippi at the Central Baptist Church on U.S. Highway 49. And I listened to the pastor preach. I was only four years old. And to be honest, my dad would put me between him and the end of the pew because I fidgeted and I played. And and like many four-year-olds, I wanted to sleep or color or or draw or just fool around and, and, and goof off. And that particular evening, as I had struggled to pay attention to church many times before, boy, the pastor had my full attention. He gave much of a presentation similar to I'm giving now about Jesus and His death on the cross. And He made hell hot. He made heaven sweet. 
He had my total attention as a four-year-old boy. That evening, my dad did not need to squeeze my knee or pull on my ear or thump me in the back of the ear, pull my hair. Uh, The pastor had my full uh, attention and uh, the Spirit of God was working in my heart. There was a conviction going on in my heart, much like there might be in your heart right now, where there's almost a still, small voice whispering within your conscience saying, listen to him, he's right, he's right. And at the end of the message, it was everything I could do. Uh, uh, He opened up the altar and invited folks to come and kneel at the front. And there was seven, eight stairs that went to the top of that platform. And I ran and I threw myself on the altar and I wanted everything within me to, uh, to have that destination, eternal destination change. And what happened that day, my, uh, that evening, my father took me and sat me down on the front pew and he explained to me what I've explained to you, but in the terms of a child. And as a four-year-old boy, I bowed my head and with tears running down my cheeks, I called on the name of the Lord, and I asked Him to take away my sin. I put my full faith and trust in what He did on the cross. And the most amazing thing happened that day. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, or the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. I stand up here this morning, and I am a pastor. I've been to a seminary. I've received a diploma. I have studied the Bible. I have uh, I tried to learn how to preach. And I, I, uh, you look at me this morning and think, well, you've got church dripping all off of you. Can I tell you that I was born a child of the devil, and I had to make a choice to put my faith and trust in Jesus and become a child of God. You must make that same choice. And when you do, God becomes your father. But watch this. All of those who've made that choice become spiritual brothers and sisters. You are born into a family. And everyone who has made that choice, you become spiritually related to. I find it amazing that I can hop in an airplane and fly to the other side of the world as I have flying to my wife's Peru where she was born and raised. And I can meet other believers, other people who've made that same decision. They come from a different culture. They speak a different language. And uh, they eat different food. They go to different places. They follow a different schedule. They uh, uh, like things that are different than I like. And I can uh, sit down with them and talk with them. And uh, I speak some Spanish, but where I don't understand them, a translator steps in and helps. And there is a kindredness. There is a spirit between us. Uh, Listen, I could fly to Taiwan. I could fly to China. I could fly to Mongolia. Mongolia, I could fly to Africa, I could fly to Europe, I could fly to any corner of the globe, and anyone who has put their full faith and trust in Jesus, although they may speak a different language and have different habits, there is a commonality we share in Christ because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. What, uh, what is Christ's commandment to each of us who are His children? Listen carefully, it is to love one another. Now, I can love just about anyone who is loving toward me. That's not difficult. If you're nice to me, I can find it in my heart to be nice to you. If you're loving toward me, I can find it in my heart to be loving toward you. But, and I'm speaking in terms of my flesh, if you mistreat me, or I have a personality clash with you, I might just find you annoying And I may choose in my flesh not to love you. Christians, God has not called you to love the lovable only. 
He has called you to love the unlovable. How can we do this? We can try and muster up affection within our flesh for others that call themselves Christians. We can try to care from our flesh, but we are going to find this difficult and eventually impossible to do. If you're going to try to love someone who isn't lovable from the flesh, that will eventually fail every single time. You must choose, Christian. You must choose, brother or sister in the Lord, to climb into God's system and choose to love on your spiritual siblings God's way and not your way. Just a moment ago, I posted a picture to the church's Facebook page of an empty auditorium and a camera recording the service. It is tough to be preaching to a camera this morning. I miss my church family profoundly. This is not really church. Because we're scattered all over the area, all over town. And we're not together in one place. Soon, Lord willing, this shelter-in-place order, this stay-at-home order, will subside and we'll be able to have church again. And it is going to be a great day. Please understand that God's plan for you to love the brethren involves being faithful to a local church. You cannot love the brethren if you are not attached to a local church. Let me just word it this way. You are not right with God if you are not faithful to church. Because His plan is the church. He created the local church. Jesus is the founder of the church. And you can not love the brethren if you do not attend church regularly. It, unless you have joined a church, you cannot be obedient to God's calling to love the brethren. Okay, pastor, I faithfully attend church. Is that all? No, not quite. When God saved you, He gave you the Holy Spirit to live within you. The third person of the Trinity, or the Holy Spirit, brings many benefits your direction. One of the benefits that is completely ignored by many Christians is the spiritual gifts that He gives each one who is saved. So, do you know what the spiritual gifts are? Which one or ones did He give you? Do you know? If I were to ask you right now to pull out a piece of paper and write down the spiritual gifts that God has given you, could you do it right off the top of your head? Do you know which ones they are? Now, unfortunately, many don't. Many can't. And you might be sitting there this morning uh, squirming a little bit, thinking, Pastor, I I'm not even sure what all the spiritual gifts are, and I don't know which one the Lord has given me. Please hear what I'm about to say. God has given you gifts the moment you got saved that you didn't have prior to being saved, and He gave them to you so that you could more effectively love the brethren. Then there's another group of people who know what their spiritual gifts are, but they haven't developed them. And they're not properly using them to love their spiritual siblings. You cannot properly love other Christians if you are not taking the spiritual gifts that you are given at salvation by the Holy Spirit and putting them into use within 
your local church body. There are, um, there are underground churches all over the country of China. There have been books written about uh, these underground churches in China. And one, uh, one book uh, that was written, I read excerpts from it, talked about how that, uh, there was a region in China where the government was a little more lenient toward church gatherings and it became so lenient for a time uh, that they ended up uh, uh, getting permission to build their own building. And so previously people would go into homes and seven, eight, nine, ten of them uh, would meet in homes and uh, they had to do it secretly. They had to leave and, and, and come in at different times and uh, stagger their entering and their leaving and, and really do their best to, to, to keep it a secret and uh, they had a Bible they would share and uh, they would take sections of the Bible and share it and uh, maybe you've seen the videos that have floated around the internet of a, bu- a box of Bibles coming into a Chinese churches and people hugging them and crying and praying over them and uh, this was the environment within the church. That book talked about how that uh, people uh, uh, would not pray that God would take away the persecution. They expected persecution to be part of being a Christian and they, they, they anticipated the persecution coming, but in this particular region uh, the, the Liberty had gotten to a place where they were able to build their own church building and so they did, and they had pews and uh, they had a pastor and a song leader, and they began to have church within the western culture way of doing it, and the uh, comment came uh, that people began to come and sit and attend and leave, and they became less and less engaged in advancing the cause of the church the pastor wrote Uh, In the book, he said, I wished we had never built the building. I wished we had just stayed with the setup that we had had. People went from being engaged to just coming, attending, consuming, and leaving. Coming, attending, consuming, and leaving. Christian, we're not going to get rid of our building anytime soon. We're not going to cease to have church the way we had it anytime soon. But can I ask you a question? Are you guilty of coming and sitting and consuming and leaving and not taking the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you and developing them so that you can properly love the brethren? I propose that our church would operate far more in line with God's plan if we would each identify our spiritual gifts and put them into full motion. Okay, about half the sermon this morning has been the introduction. I do not plan on preaching more than about 20 more minutes or so. I say that and I'll probably preach for another 40 minutes. Who knows what will happen here. I have about 20 minutes worth of notes. We'll see what happens. Please give me your uh, full attention this morning and, uh, and do, your best to, uh, do your best to hone in and listen and get something from God's Word. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 very closely as we consider this truth. Loving my fellow man. Loving the brethren. I have three points for for you today, uh, and so I encourage you to write these down as we go. Number one, notice our spiritual guide. Our spiritual guide. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, and look at verse number 7, and we're going to read down through verse number 11. The Bible says, but the manifestation of the Spirit. Notice the capital S in Spirit. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you when you get saved. He lives within you. You become the temple of God. He lives within you. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. 
For to one is given by the Spirit, by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Look, look down at verse number 13. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit. These verses tell us that as God's Spirit possesses each believer, He gives them different abilities and even different administrations of those abilities, but all the same, He is the same Spirit of God. He is the same Spirit of God. And so, uh, uh, different people are given different things, and different people are given different abilities, and different people put different emphasis on different syllables. Amen? Different people, uh, please don't tune out over that pun. Uh, uh, different people uh, jump all over uh, uh, different gifts, and different people see things from different perspectives, and different people People value uh, different things in different ways. But we're all coming at it uh, from the same Spirit of God. If you truly have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God uh, is in you, then the Spirit of God is driving you to serve Him just like He's driving me to serve Him. Now this is a very critical part of the message, and so please do your best to tune in and listen to what I'm about to say. Here's how this works. If I am doing what the Spirit of God has told me to do, and you are doing what the Spirit of God has told you to do, then we will, by default, get along with each other, and we will, by default, love each other. We may have a different opinion at times over how something is to get done. We may have a different uh, opinion or uh, viewpoint at times on the order of which things ought to get done. But at the end of the day, if the Spirit of God is leading me and the Spirit of God is leading you, then we will get along. Please hear this. You show me two saved people who are not getting along with each other. And at the very least, one of them is not being led by the Spirit of God. Most likely, both of them are not being led by the Spirit of God. If two Christians are doing this, and two Christians cannot share unity, and two Christians cannot walk in harmony, and two Christians do not know what it's like to show grace to each other, do not know how to resolve their conflicts with each other, cannot even sit down, look each other in the eye, and work things out with each other, then at least one of them is not being led by the Spirit of God. Why? He is our spiritual guide. He possesses me. He possesses you. God is a God of order. He desires that we get along. The question is not, is there Spirit of God leading as your guide? The question is, are you following Him as He seeks to guide you into loving your brother or sister in the Lord? 
You say, Pastor Lejeune, you don't know what such and such did. You don't know how such and such behaved. You don't know uh, how they grate on my nerves. I remember as a little boy, I, I had a kid in my class who I just could not get along with. He, he drove me nuts. He was annoying. He was mean. He was unkind. Uh, uh, he was obnoxious. He was rude. Uh, uh, he would do all kinds of things. One day I came in uh, to school uh, and we would all wait in the lunchroom for the bell to ring. And, um, uh, he w- wanted very much to have the other kids accept him. And so I got there uh, about a minute or two for the bell rang, and the lunchroom was full. Almost every chair was taken, and the only chair available was right next to David Breland. And so I walk in, and he says, hey, Richard, come over here and sit next to me. Well, little did I know that water had dripped from the ceiling. Rust water had dripped from the ceiling and landed in that metal chair. And this dirty rust water was sitting in a puddle in that chair. And so he he pulled the chair out ever so slightly, and I came in in my khaki pants, and I sat down in that puddle of water, and my rear end was soaked. And he laughed and laughed and laughed, and my blood pressure shot up, and uh, I could feel blood rushing to my hands and my face. And then I did something no Christian should do. On the way up to class, I reared back with my fist and I popped him right in the jaw. And uh, he turned red. Now, he never told anyone, and I never actually got in trouble for that, but uh, confession does the soul good. And so now I'm confessing it and I feel better. Uh, you think that you confess to the priest, now the priest is confessing to you. Amen? I'm not the priest. That's just a joke. Uh, but um, you know what? We were not being led by the Spirit of God, we were acting in the flesh. It is your flesh that wants to retaliate when someone mistreats you. It is your flesh that wants to be hateful and vengeful. It is not God's spirit. Some people, I got to the place with David where if he held his mouth a certain way, I just couldn't stand it. That annoyed me. My friend, is there someone in your life that's there? Everything they do pushes you over the cliff in your spirit. You're not being led by the spirit of God. Why? The Holy Spirit is to be our guide. He leads us into loving the brethren. Number two, notice our spiritual gifts. Our spiritual gifts. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 1. It says there, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you simple-minded. I would not have you where you don't even know what they are or where they're going. Now, I've grown up as a Baptist uh, my whole life, and i got to be honest, until a few years ago, even post-seminary, post-Bible college, when I sat down and deeply studied out spiritual gifts, I didn't know what my spiritual gifts were. And by default, I had stumbled into them, but I had never actually sat down and look at the, looked at the list in Scripture to see what they are and truly understood... Uh, what they were, but please understand how this works. Uh, Spiritual gifts are not talents. Talents and spiritual gifts are different. I've heard people say, well, I can't come to church on Sunday because God has given my child the gift of sports, and I need to take him so that he can uh, do better with that in a sports league. You may be good at basketball. You may be good at football or baseball or track. Your child may be good with music and can sing or play an instrument. My friend, those are talents, they're not gifts. You will not find sports or music on any list anywhere in Scripture when it comes to spiritual gifts. These are talents, and God does not give you talent. He gives you talents at your physical birth. He gives you spiritual gifts at your 
second birth, at your spiritual birth. And we must learn what spiritual gifts we are gifted when we are saved. Now, the next part of the sermon will be quite controversial for non-Baptist folk. In fact, if you're watching today and you've been raised from a charismatic background, Pentecostal background, uh, or even uh, from some other religious backgrounds, you're not going to agree uh, with, uh, with what I'm going to say. I'm not going to take the time this morning to explain uh, why certain gifts have fallen off the list. If you have a question about that, you're welcome to call the church and schedule an appointment with me. I'd be happy to sit down and show you from Scripture why I believe certain gifts are not applicable to the church today. But without further ado, let's look at a list of the spiritual gifts laid out in the New Testament church in its entirety, and then we'll look at the refined list that applies to the church today. Here's the list in its entirety, and these are found from four different passages in the New Testament kind of compiled together. Okay, So you have prophets. Those are future tellers. You have ministers or the gift of helps. You have teachers, exhorters, an exhorter, someone who encourages, givers, rulers, administ- rulers or the gift of administration, uh, mercy givers, counselors or those who have the gift of words of wisdom, faith, you have the gift of healers, miracle workers, spirit discerners, tongue speakers, tongue discerners, apostles, evangelists, and then words of knowledge, and then pastors. Now, many of these gifts God has laid to rest. And he laid to rest when the word of God was completed. Not every gift was needed for the entirety of the church era. Some of these gifts were given for the purpose of getting the scriptures written, validating its authors, or uh, helping quickly establish the church. Once the church was established and the Word of God uh, had been completed, Revelation 22:21 had been penned, many of these gifts fell off. And so God does not give us all of these gifts anymore. Here is a list of the gifts, as in, at least in my strong opinion, as they stand for the church as it's relevant today. Here they are. Ministers, teachers, exhorters, givers, rulers... Mercy givers, counselors, faith, spirit discerners, evangelists, and pastors. Now, if you're saved today, I hope that you haven't become bored with the message and checked out. This is very important that you understand. You cannot love your your brother or sister in the Lord until you learn what your spiritual gift is and you begin to develop that because as you develop that, your capacity to love the brethren will greatly, greatly grow. Now, I have uh, put in blue ministers, givers, mercy givers, faith and evangelists, and here's why. We are all called to do all of those. However, some people have a natural leaning and a natural inclination to do that. Uh, my daughter uh, has a, 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 a leaning toward being an exhorter and being a mercy giver. And that's great. She looks for the weak one in the pact and she goes and befriends that person. Uh, my son has a leaning toward minister and, and, and giving. He's quick to give toward a need that's mentioned in the plate. He'll take, uh, in the service, he'll, he'll take his birthday money sometimes and, and he would hate that I'm mentioning this, but he'll give it to a missionary in need. Or he's quick to run around and turn off lights or restock, restock the track rack. And, and those, are, that, those are the leanings of my children. But can I tell you, we're all called to minister. We're all called to give. We're all called to show mercy. We're all called to live a life of faith. We're all called to be evangelists, share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Some people have a leaning stronger that way than others. Listen, we announce a time for folks to go out and share the gospel. And man, some folks, they're passionate about it. 
They show up and they're quick to do it. They love to do it. They're intent on doing it. They're enthusiastic about it. Other people, they're more introverted. And they, well, I, you know, I'm not gifted that way. My friend, you may not be gifted that way, but you're still called and commanded to do so. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Which of these are yours? Do you know? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure what my spiritual gifts are. I haven't figured it out. Pastor, how do I figure out what my spiritual gifts are? Here's the best way to figure it out. Jump in to church family. Jump into service. And in time, you'll figure it out uh, pretty quick. Uh, You'll figure out, no, I'm not natural at that. Or, yes, I'm a little more natural at that. And uh, then the Lord will help you to develop. Quickly, letter A, notice our attention. Our attention. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, now concerning spiritual gifts... Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Look at verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away into these dumb idols. And that word dumb there just means inability to speak or inability to communicate. Dumb idols, even as ye were led. What is he saying here? He's saying there were some of you who were Gentiles. You were part of a pagan religion. You were part of a, a worship system that was invalid, that was no good. And then you became saved. You became believers. You became part of the family of God. You inherited brothers and sisters in the Lord and a, a new heavenly father. Uh, he became your heavenly father. Uh, and so now you are in this system and you have gifts and you don't need to be ignorant. I want to say this here. I believe the number one reason why people don't develop their spiritual gifts is because they're distracted. They're too busy living life. They're too busy earning money. They're too busy uh, running around uh, uh, for their family. They're too busy with leisure. They're too busy with entertainment. They're too busy uh, in order to really actually give their heart to God. Oh, my friend, when you get to a place that God and church are the center of the wheel of your life, then and only then will you give attention to developing your spiritual gifts the way God intended. Let me put it this way. We cannot love the brethren because we're too busy loving our own priorities. We're distracted by life. When we actually pay attention, and we don't act in a way that's ignorant, what we learn is that God has a beautiful intent for His church to run and operate as we love each other. Let her be notice our affection. Why did God give you spiritual gifts? So that you could stand out? So that you could feel special? So that others would see your preaching ability and be amazed? Or that uh, they could uh, know how merciful you are and speak highly of you? Maybe God has given you the gift of giving. You're a giver. And uh, every time there's a need mentioned in church, you're quick to put uh, money in the plate. Hey, that's fantastic. And if God has given you the both the ability to give and the gift of giving, and you give, praise the Lord that you are using that gift for His glory. But are you doing that so that you can stand out and be known by others? I don't believe we have that problem here. I think about uh, in the New Testament where Jesus pointed to those throwing big offerings in the plate And then the widow who dropped in her two mites, and Jesus said that widow is outgiven everyone. Oh, her offering is much smaller. 
but she gave all that she had. And she did it without any fanfare, without any attention. God did not give you the blessing of a spiritual gift so that you could flaunt it for the promotion of your own person. God gave you, please hear me, God gave you your spiritual gift so that you could properly love your brothers and sisters around you in your local church. Look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's read through the first four verses of chapter 13. Look here, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a way a more excellent way. What is he saying here? He's saying that uh, I've given you gifts, and I want to show you a better way. Now, we're all familiar uh, with, this, uh, with 1 Corinthians 13. It is known as the charity chapter, or the love chapter. It's a chapter we've all become very familiar with, but oftentimes we lose the context of it. 1 Corinthians 13 is nestled between 12 and 14 that talk about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is put there to show us the purpose of spiritual gifts is to show charity to others. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What is the more excellent way? The more excellent way to those who had the gift of tongue speaking was to do so with the motive of charity toward the brethren. Without charity, tongue speaking means nothing. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not, uh, uh, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. What is the purpose of our spiritual gifts? Please, oh please hear me. The purpose of our spiritual gifts is to love the brethren. It's to love your brother and sister in the Lord. I hope you're hearing me this morning. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you may be nice to people as you pass them in the pew. You may shake hands of a visitor. Uh, you may drop your 10% in the offering plate when it comes by, as you uh, have been taught and trained to do. Uh, you may smile on your way in and out of the parking lot. Uh, you may even check up on someone occasionally who's having a tough time. But my friend, if you have not identified what your spiritual gifts are, if you're not wholeheartedly giving those to the Lord, then you are not effectively loving your brother and sister in the Lord. You are not loving the brethren the way that God has called you to. Really quickly, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you developing them? Are you using them to love those around you? Number one, our spiritual guide. Number two, our spiritual gifts. Number three, notice our spiritual goal. Our spiritual goal. Letter A, below number three, notice concord within the body. Go back to chapter 12 and look at verse 14. Now, we know that Jesus Christ walked amongst us. After he ascended to heaven, he established the church that he purchased with his own blood, and he leaves the church to be a representative of his body here on earth. Look at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, 
where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And they were all one member, uh, uh, and if they were all one member, rather, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the hand of the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these members of the body, which seemeth to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, uh, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts uh, have uh, more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts, or the parts out in the forefront, the parts that are seen, have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the parts which lack. Look at verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body. I didn't like science class growing up. I love history. Uh, I endured English. Uh, I enjoyed math. Uh, science was my least favorite class. Part of that was because I didn't have uh, enjoyable science teachers. At least I didn't connect well with my science teachers. And I believe that if I had, I probably uh, would have enjoyed it more. But I remember taking um, uh, one science class that went over the systems of the body. And I remember having to study very hard for a final exam that dealt with the circulatory system and the respiratory system and the muscular system and the nervous system and the, uh, the excretion system and the reproductive system and all of the various systems of the body. And I remember uh, uh, studying that and, and learning that and learning about the five senses of hearing and smelling and tasting and touching and, 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 and all. And I think I missed one, but uh, I told you I didn't, pay well, uh, didn't, didn't do well in science class. Uh, but all of the, the various uh, elements of the human body and how they work together. Uh, do you know what you call someone whose bodily systems fight with each other? You look at them as sick and broken. My friend, there are a lot of churches that are sick and broken. Because the part of the body that's called to be the hand is fighting with the foot. The eye is fighting with the ear. The head does not get along with the legs. Someone maybe has been given a different set of gifts than you. Someone maybe has a different point of emphasis than you. But the goal within the church is concord. That word concord, it means unity. It means peace. It means being at harmony with each other. I've been the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church for almost four years now. I can't believe it's already almost been four years. One of the deacons said to me a couple of months ago, he said, Pastor, I sat in church and I looked around and I watched and uh, the service went well, but it's clear that the honeymoon stage is over. And uh, you are here, you've been accepted, you are the pastor. Almost four years. Um, I would like to stand up here and tell you that it's just been four years of perfect harmony and unity. But I think we all know it hasn't been. I would love to tell you that even right now, everybody is getting along with everybody. But we all know that's not true. Who is it in the church that is saved, that is a believer, that you are at odds with? Do you understand that if I took my hand and I punched myself in the eye over and over and over and over again, well, eventually I'd put myself in the hospital. Eventually I'd bring death to myself. Christians, we're not called to attack each other. We're called to get along. Concord within the body. 
Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success in the Christian assembly. For, listen, as one flock, we are gathered together. As one family, we dwell together. As one body, we are joined together. As one temple, we are framed together. As one household, we are built together. As one kingdom, we are to strive together. As one hierarchy, we are raised up together. Letter A, concord within the body. Letter B, and lastly, notice, care for the brethren. Care for the brethren. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Look at verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Boy, we look at someone who's suffering, and we ought not be indifferent. We ought to run to their side and suffer them. I, I, listen, sometimes when I'm in my garage and I'm doing some woodwork, and I get a splinter in my finger, or I hit my uh, uh, thumb with a hammer, or I, uh, I, I scrape myself up, or maybe I'm out uh, playing basketball and I roll my ankle and my, my ankle begins to throb. You know what my hand doesn't do? My hand does not judge my ankle. My hand doesn't say, you ankle, you're such a weak part of the body. You've gotten hurt so, and this is true, you've gotten hurt so many times playing sports and uh, you always let us down. You always keep us off the basketball court. You're always the the, the fault. You're always the reason. Uh, When I uh, have gained a little too much weight and my knees begin to creak walking upstairs, my shoulder does not say uh, uh, to my knee, why don't you stop hurting? Don't you know the discomfort you're causing the whole body? Don't you know that you're causing all sorts of problems? Oh no, when I roll my ankle, my hand runs to the aid of my ankle to help. My, my whole bodily systems run there. Many people are battling with the coronavirus right now. They're dealing with this sickness and uh, it infects their body. And we have white blood cells that run to the aid and war is declared on that agent that has entered that is foreign to the body. There isn't an attacking, there isn't an accusing, there isn't a battling. No, there is a care. Now, I found that Christians within church respond one of three ways, rather. The first way is that we attack and we judge. The second way is we roll our eyes and our shoulders, we shrug our shoulders and we act as though it's not near us and we don't care. And then there's a third crowd that runs to the aid and cares for those that are hurting. Which one are you, Christian? Are you using your spiritual gifts to care for the brethren? Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Well, you know, a brother has been overtaken in a fault. That means that uh, that is the spiritual body having rolled the ankle or, or stubbed a finger or broken an arm. And we're not to run to that broken arm and judge it. We're not to uh, act like it didn't happen. Oh, no, we're to run there and set it back in place. We're to run there and wrap the proverbial ankle. We're to do our best to love and care and help them which are with a spirit of meekness. James 5.16 says this, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. 
The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you know who I share my struggles with? A brother or sister who I can trust. A brother or sister who I know cares about me. If I believe that you were going to take what I told you in private and, and spread it all over the internet or even whisper it to someone else uh, as gossip, I wouldn't tell you. Boy, I go to those who I know love me. I go to those I know I can trust. And I tell, tell them my faults so that they can get on their face and they can pray for me. Because the Bible tells us an effectual, fervent prayer availeth much. James 1.27 says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, to visit the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What is pure religion? Is it preaching a really good sermon? No. Is it giving big gifts in the offering plate? Not per se, unless that gift is to help the father and the widow. Listen, here's what I'm getting at. Pure religion is not putting yourself on a pedestal. Pure religion is loving others who are vulnerable. When you learn to love the brethren, and especially those who are the most broken, my friend, you have learned how to operate properly within the body of Christ. You have learned how to love your brother and sister in the Lord. We'll look at this verse tonight as we're going verse by verse through 1 John. Tonight's sermon will be very similar to this morning's. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's one thing more than another required in the church of God today, is that we present a unified front to the enemy. Please hear this. There's a great need of aggressive unity. Just before the battle of Trafalgar, Nelson inquired of Admiral Collingwood where his captain was and learned that he and Captain Rotherham were not on good terms with each other. Sending a a boat for the captain, he placed the hands of Collingworth and Rotherham together. He pointed to the enemy's ships, and earnestly looking them both in the face, he uttered the simple words, Look yonder is the enemy. It was enough. Disagreements were forgotten. Victory was gained. Christians, we're not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Sin is the enemy. Those who oppose us are the enemy. Let's not oppose each other. Let's love each other. The message is really simple. It can be summed up like this. Are you in tune with the Holy Spirit of God and His voice? Are you allowing Him to guide you? Boy, that's step one. If the Holy Spirit is not guiding you, you will never develop your spiritual gifts. As He leads you to be more faithful to the house of God, or rather to the church family, as He leads you into discovering your spiritual gifts, boy, let's pay full attention and develop them. And as a church family, let's work together to love the brethren. Yes, those that are lovable, but also those that aren't unlovable.